well, it's nice to see your faces. Do you realize that? Wonderful. And we have said as a church board, you know, please do uh, and, and feel comfortable to do what you feel comfortable, and that is to wear your mask or not to wear your mask. But I must say it is good to see a lot of your faces today in the fact that uh, we've been preaching now for over two years to blank faces. And so I've often joked that I don't know if you're sticking your tongue out at me, if you're angry, if you're laughing. Uh, sometimes you can see the twinkle in somebody's eye, but that's kind of hard to see that from here to there. And so it's, it's nice to be able to see your faces. And my stepdad's phrase always to me was, Ma, you're looking fine. And uh, maybe you want to say that to somebody today. Turn to them and say, Ma, you're looking fine. The joke was it was on the telephone he would say that to me. <laughs> that was always the joke. Now you can do FaceTime and everything else and you actually get to see the person's face, but back then you didn't. Uh, today we are looking at this subject of first love. And you say, well, Pastor, where are you going with this on Mother's Day? has nothing to do with Mother's Day. Mind you, like I prayed, we often experience love for the first time and understand it because of our mothers uh, and grandmothers. And uh, I was uh, praying about, Lord, what would be the next message that I should be preaching on? And when you're laying on your back, you know, it's kind of interesting when you're down and out for a few days how God will speak to you. And I believe this is for this time. I, I really believe this is a word for this moment, for this time. We are officially today, this Sunday. We would have been last Sunday, but we're in the beginning of our new church year. Church year end for us is April 30th, and now we're into our new church year. So what does God have for us? A lot of believers have been talking about this. What's going to happen with the church? What's ahead of us? What needs to change? What do we need to embrace? What do we need to leave behind? And so we're very, very much in those days I was recently shocked uh, to read an article, uh, and it really shocked me uh, because there's another denomination, and you'll notice that Pastor Mike and I will never speak of other denominations from the pulpit. We'll never speak uh, bad about anyone or anything because we don't believe that's what this pulpit is about. So I'm very, very careful to say to you, I'm not going to tell you which denomination, but as I was reading this article, they were saying that they got so many big buildings, like one of the ones in the picture, so many wonderful buildings that at one time were built for the glory of God and were full of worshipers that are right now empty. And so they've been saying, what should we do with them? And so what they've decided to do is turn them into apartments. And now hear me right, I know there's a housing crisis, and I believe we should be looking for godly solutions to come alongside people and help them in a housing crisis, but it saddened me to hear that churches that were once used for the glory of God are now going to be apartments. It reminded me of a time when I traveled through Eastern Europe with my mother, wonderful memories to have those, and we traveled to Egypt and to Turkey, and in those two countries, I couldn't see any Christian witness. Uh, it was very, very hard to find, and there were no churches around, and it shocked me because this was the bedrock of many of the churches we read in here, and there was nothing. And it also saddened me. I, one of my highlights of that trip was the ability to travel to the ancient city of Ephesus. 
I got to go to Corinth, and I got to go to Ephesus. And so it was so meaningful for me to be in that ancient city of Ephesus. Actually, you can still see the facade of the famous great library that is still there, that people would flock to that library. There was also a great one in Alexandria, Egypt, and this is the one in Ephesus. It was neat to be able to stand in those doors. Right to the side of that were some porticos, and I remember standing there in those porticos, and as I stood there, I thought, this is probably the very place that Paul stood and shared the good news. It's, it's amazing. It's phenomenal to have those kinds of experiences. Ephesus is in ruins today, of course, as you can see, but it was one of the uh, first-class cities in the day of this writing. It happened to be one of the most influential cities of Asia. It was the fourth largest city of the Roman Empire. The population, even of those days, was a quarter of a million. It was the financial hub. All the roads seemed to lead in and through Ephesus. It was an important seaport. And the amphitheater that you can see in the background where my mom and I sat would actually sit 24,000 people back in their day as they watched a play or listened to uh, artists and music. Their greatest pride was this uh, temple that they had built. People would flock to this temple. It was the temple that was built for the fertility god, goddess Artemis, which the Romans would call Diana. And actually the temple was the size of a football field with a garden in the center, with a tree at the center of it that they believed was magical. That tree actually was on their coin. That's how proud Ephesus was of their great temple to Artemis. A hundred stone columns, and they were 50 feet high. Actually, in the ruins, you can still see some of those columns today. This city was so important that the Apostle Paul would spend two and a half years here. The longest that he had stayed than anywhere else. Two and a half years he stayed there with the church. When young Timothy, tradition says, was murdered by the Roman Empire... John came to pastor this church. And we are told that this is most likely where John wrote his gospel. Ephesus became the center of the Christian faith. It moved away from Jerusalem. We're not really sure why. It moved away from Jerusalem, and Ephesus became the center of the Christian faith. One of the beautiful things that I found out when I was there that really touched me, you know when Jesus looked down from the cross and said to John, uh, uh, son, this is your mother, and mother, this is your son, and he basically was placing his mother in love and compassion for her in the hands of John. And it, it is uh, known that John, as I said, went to pastor this church in Ephesus, and he brought Mary with him. And Mary was a member of the church in Ephesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine Christmas with Mary right there? <laughs> I know we get little girls to dress up as Marys, but imagine being in church and Mary is there telling you the stories of his birth. And so imagine what a church founded by the Apostle Paul, nurtured by Aquila and Priscilla to a couple, husband and wife, Timothy pastored it. Now John the Apostle is pastoring it. And Mary is one of its members. <laughs> 
Now, we'd all want to be a part of that church. That's pretty exciting. And, and God was on the move. And it was unthinkable in John's day that that church would no longer be there years later. A church that was so vibrant, a church that was so alive, how could it be? And so what did Jesus have to say about this influential church? See, this sense of, this sense of devastation uh, of, of a church that was one day full and vibrant and built for the glory of God, next turning into apartments or next empty and no longer existing is exactly what Jesus is talking about today in our passage. In, Roman, I mean in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, and thanks to Rachel for reading that for us. See, so many people look to the book of Revelation as a book of end times. Actually, it's one of the books that most non-believers turn to. But we uh, mistake the reality that this book was written not to non-believers. This book was written to who? The church. And so Jesus starts with these seven letters to the churches, because this letter is written to the churches. And, and the point that we need to realize here is we can go in and we can try to map out the end times and all this stuff and try to figure it out, but we're missing the point of the book. The point of the book is told in the first chapter of Revelation. It is a book that is written because it is written for the glory of Jesus Christ, the glorified Lord. It is written that you might fall on your knees and worship him. It is written that you would serve him for your whole life. That is why the book of Revelation is written, and you can see it right in the first chapter. John begins to tell you, this is not Jesus who was nailed to a cross between a few criminals. This is Jesus, the exalted Lord. And get a vision of that. Because the church was being persecuted, the church was going through difficulty, and they needed to have a fresh new vision of Jesus. Oh my goodness, if there's anything we need today in the midst of a pandemic and towards the end of a pandemic, who knows? We need a picture again of the glorified Lord. He says in that first chapter, look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all peoples on the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. And so we come to the book of not revelations, my husband corrected me that of many years ago. I'm the heretic and he keeps correcting me. But he's not my, we joke, an inside joke, he's not my knight on a white horse either. So <laughs> that's from a few weeks back. By the way, there is a white horse on the way to O'Leary and he was wondering if they would let him take a picture on it for me, but hasn't happened yet. <clears throat> and so John, in the beginning of chapter two, our passage today he tells you, as he sees this Jesus, what he sees. He said, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. We're not really sure what those stars are in his right hand. There have been a lot of people who think it could be also the churches. Others say it is the messengers to the churches it is a messenger can be a word that is used for angels, or it can also be used for the preachers of the word. They're messengers of God. 
And so in his right hand, he's holding that, but he's also in the midst of the seven lampstands. And the seven lampstands are the churches. And so what we need to realize today, that Jesus is in the middle of his church. Did you know that? Not above it, looking down. Not outside, looking in. But Jesus is in the middle of his church. And praise God, it says he's not just sitting somewhere in the middle, but he is walking amongst his church. That gives me goosebumps when I think today that the Lord Jesus is here and he is walking around this church. That's why we gather. That's why we praise. That's why we're here. Because we're here because the exalted Lord, the glorified Lord in his spirit is here in this church today walking around. One of the ways we know that is the word, the number seven is used here. The number seven is completeness. It's God's number. And so what John is saying, seeing the seven stars and the seven lampstands, he is saying this is a message for the church of Jesus Christ of all times. This is not just a message for then. These messages to the seven churches are for all churches of all time. And so we know the glorified Lord is here today. Hallelujah. He is here. Amen. But Jesus is the divine inspector. He's investigating. He's scrutinizing every heart, every motive, every aspect of church life. And Jesus gives the church in Ephesus a message. One of the first things he does in this message to the church in Ephesus, he commends them. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And so he's commending them for their faithfulness. He's commending them for their strenuous hard work. He is commending them for their perseverance and endurance. And I thought, you know, what would he say to us as the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene, we have persevered through this pandemic. We have endured this pandemic. And we have done well. We could do better, yes, but we have done well. I think Jesus would commend you today for how we have done uh, and how we have moved on through this pandemic. He says, I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. Truth for them and purity of life and purity of doctrine was so important. They didn't believe in compromising. And he says, you tested the false prophets. And so we know that, we hear that later in the passage about the Nicolaitans who believed that you could love Jesus and do whatever you wanted. They were immoral Christians, it is believed. So we look at this and we hear this, this Jesus commending them and we think, wow, that's a wonderful church. That's a church I want to be a part of. And then, of course, Jesus drops the bomb. <laughs> Jesus says to them, but, uh, but, you know when you hear the word but, I really love you, honey, and thank you for everything you do for me, but, <laughs> right, the but, <laughs> and so Jesus has this but for this glowing church at the center of Christianity at the time of John, and he says, I hold this one thing against you, you have forsaken the love you had at first. Hard work was there, 
endurance was there. Orthodoxy, right doctrine was there. But Jesus says, what happened to the love? Where has the love gone? See, that first love is that moment when you know in your heart that you're in love with somebody and Jesus knows the real condition of their souls and sees through all their busyness and their activities and their programs and their patience and their right teaching and he tells the church, you're flawed, you can do all of that, but if you do all of that and you do not have love, you've missed it. Because it's about the love. And he invites the church in Ephesus, and he invites us to spend time with him again, to do the things that we did before, the reading of scripture and meditating and praying and conversing with God. But he also says it's important for us to retain, to retain that first love for the brotherhood. See, many, many have said they feel that this first love is not just love for Jesus. And that's how I thought all my life this passage was about. But as I prepared, God was saying to me and showing me that through the original language, which I know nothing of, I have to go to the experts, that there is this, uh, there is this understanding here that he is challenging them that they lost their love for the brotherhood. See, if, you, if, you're, if your love for Jesus starts to wax cold, guess what? you really don't have a lot of love and patience with other people. You tolerate, but you don't necessarily love. And so Jesus says, at the center of it all, we sing that song, don't we? Jesus, be at the center of it all. Jesus says, it's the heart of the church. It's the heart of my people. They must love me, and they must love each other. The word that he uses here in the original language, John, is very, very strong. It says they have abandoned their first love. And so we know that experience of first love is, as I said, when you fall in love with somebody, we, we love so much that we're affectionate and intimate with one another. And Jesus says, where has it gone? And we could say, how can this be possible? How can, how can people be so faithful to God and continue on and continue to carry the church through and yet lose their first love? Don't we all fall into that? if we're not careful? If we've been believers for a long time, oh, we know how to do what I call the holy shuffle. And we even know now how to do it with masks on. (laughs) And praise God, you have been obedient and you have been enduring and, and you have done what needs to be done and you have been here. And this church would not be where it is today if it wasn't for your faithfulness. Hear me right. But if we're not careful, it becomes a holy shuffle, and that's all it is. Because we've done it for so long, we know how to do it. We we have done church, we know how to do church. I remember speaking to a pastor, a pastor that's well-respected, quite a preacher, uh, and and, uh, he had said to me one time, we had gathered together as pastors on our zone, I was the zone facilitator, and we were going through this program together, and we had to revisit our call and revisit why we were doing what we were doing, and I remember in a time of prayer that he spoke up, and he said, I I need to ask for prayer, I I need to ask for forgiveness, because I'm really good at waffling. And I was shocked. 
but he was being really honest. And he says, I grew up in the church. I, I grew up around missionaries. I've I seen, and, and, and I want to tell you, I know how to do church. I can get up week after week and do church. And sometimes I'm waffling. I know if I raise my voice and get loud, people get excited. And if I go right soft, they listen in. He said, I, I can go through the motions. And so we prayed for him that God would bring renewal and revival, not in just to his heart, but our heart too. I'm telling you people, as a pastor, as a leader, as a person who has carried on and carried the church through and even through a pandemic, it is so easy for us to lose our first love if we are not careful. Oh, it got very quiet in here. We know in marriages, look at the example of marriages, how easily it is for couples to go through the outward motions of the same thing, day in, day out, week after week, month after month, and yet the heart has grown cold. Maybe the Ephesians were so busy and so concerned with holding up the truth that they forgot the importance of love. And my friends, I want to tell you today, the gospel of Jesus Christ has always been and always will be about the love of God. And so as they lost this love for the brotherhood, there was the reality when they were first saved, they couldn't wait to gather with brothers and sisters in Christ. They couldn't wait to tell them all the exciting things that God had been doing in their life that week. They couldn't wait to pray together. They couldn't wait to break bread together and to worship together and to do all those things. But now, Oh, they're too busy. Too many things going on. Oh, they, they go through the motions. But the heart and the love for the brotherhood is no longer there. The eagerness is gone. See, my friends, today the secret to retaining that first love is you must nurture it whether it is in your marriage or in friendships, if you want that love to stay alive, oh, it changes. I don't want to be infatuated with this man after 44 years, 43. But I want my love to be as live today for him as it was when we first met, and even more so. And that only happens because we nurture it. We do what needs to be done to keep that love alive and on fire. If you want friendships that are on fire with great love and great care for each other, you need to nurture it. And so we know that in order for our love to stay afire for Jesus and for the things of God, we must nurture it. You have to take the time deliberately. And often we say you have to make the time for your marriage, for your friendships, for Jesus, and for his church. Pastor Mike had a statement there a while back, and I was just sharing it. Taverly and I were meeting on Thursday night and praying, and I was sharing it with her, that it really resonated with me. And I think it was a Wednesday night that he shared it, something he had read, and he's looking at me confused right now because he doesn't know what I'm going to say. Uh, but... He said, you know, we are called to be brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we are called to be the family of God. We are not called to be business associates. Wow, that's, that, that resonated with me. 
You know, when you're a business associate, you're very polite. You kind of wave at each other. You pass somebody's desk. How's your, how was your weekend? Oh, it was great. How was yours? Oh, great. Gone. Another week passes by. You know, just a colleague. In the church, we're just a bunch of colleagues. No, my friends, we are not. We are called to be the brothers and sisters of Christ. We are the family of God, and we care for each other, and we love each other. And the way we do that, as I say to a lot of couples, the way you show your love, T-I-M-E. Great for you to say to me, well, pastor, I love you, but I never see you. It's not right for me to say, I love you, but I have no time for you because I'm too busy. See, that's not love. That's going around being business associates. And God wants us as the church, as Jesus was speaking through John to the church in Ephesus, that they had lost their first love, and it was time for them now to admit that they had lost their first love. Because love only grows when it is fed, and love will shrivel up when it is not. I noticed we lost our PowerPoint. It will come back. And so Christ goes on and he says, okay, let me give you quickly three steps. Three steps. If you want to come back to your first love, if you want to nurture this first love for me and for the church, these are the three things I tell you very quickly that you need to do. Consider how far you have fallen, verse 5, he says. Repent and do the things you did at the beginning. It's not rocket science. Repent and do the things you did at the beginning. He says, first of all, remember. He's saying to you, you need to recognize and have that moment where you're remembering the way things used to be. Remember how you used to love the Lord, how you used to do the things, how you used to love the brotherhood, and you need to look at that and realize that and recognize it. And then you need to repent. We say that word often. What is repentance? Repentance is a U-turn. A repentance is I was going this direction. Now I'm going to go in that direction. We can do all we want today. We can have an appeal at the end, which I probably will. But that doesn't mean anything because where the rubber hits the road, or as a good new philander would say, where the proof is in the pudding is when you're out there. And what you're going to do this week. And what changes are you willing to make to your schedule and to your commitments and to your life? That is true repentance. What are you willing to do to restore the intimacy with you and Jesus? I've made some new commitments to the Lord and pray for me that I can renew my intimacy with the Lord. And I'm praying that you will too. But it's going to mean some changes. It's, it's going to mean, as Jesus says, resume, redo. You know what you did at the beginning. The Holy Spirit, through God, Christ walking through this church and looking at your heart today, will point on things, and he will say to you, you used to do this. What went wrong? And guess what he's going to ask you to do? Go back and redo it again. Because those things that you are doing is restoring and renewing your intimacy and love with him. My friends, there's a strong warning here. And it's not the kind of warnings we like to hear. But Jesus says, after he's had this inspection in the church in Ephesus, he says this, now here, if you do not repent, see, it's a choice. 
I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. That's verse 5, the second half. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand. You see, if we miss the love of Christ in the church, if we miss the love of Christ in our hearts, our lamp, our light has gone out and the lampstand has no purpose. Like churches that turn into apartments. It is the love of Christ that keeps the light on and shining. And if the light goes out, Jesus says, there's no point of having you there, and I will come and take the lampstand away. Why am I preaching this message? Because I love this church enough that in 100 years from now, if the Lord hasn't come back, or 200 or 300 from now, I want to see this church larger and more alive than what it is today. I hope you have that same passion with me. And if I want to see that happen in years to come, guess what? i got to let God do what he's supposed to be doing in my heart today. But, oh, there's a beautiful promise here. And then we look at verse 7. He says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So those who repent, those who remember, repent and redo, listen to what he says. Someone put it this way. The tree of life is found in the first pages of the Bible And now it's found in the last. It is there in the first creation in the middle of the Garden of Eden. It is there in the new creation in the middle of the city of God. In the first creation, the way to it was blocked. No one can get to it. It represents all the goodness of the life of the Lord. The life that God longs to share with those who love him. In the first creation, because of sin, the way was blocked. In the new creation, the blocks have been removed because of the blood of Jesus Christ. By the death of Jesus, the way has been opened for everyone who will. And it turns out that the tree of life is Jesus himself. His promise is to his first love lovers. And what he promises them is to give them more of himself. I've met a lot of people who think the faith is a drudgery, who think about Christianity as a bore, who, who, who think that somehow when we get to heaven, we're going to float on clouds and eat Philadelphia cream cheese and sing Kumbaya. Oh, God have mercy. What have we presented the afterlife as? Oh, my friends, the one who died for me, the one who loved me before I even loved myself, the one who knew me in my mother's womb, the one who had my name on his heart when he had his hands nailed and feet to that cruel cross, the one who is the king of glory, and who is coming back to usher in his kingdom where there will be no more crying and no more tears and no more brokenness. And I get to be a part of it, that great wedding feast of the Lamb. I can't wait, (laughs) as Paul would say, to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
And I look forward to that day when I get to enter into that garden with the Lord, into that place called paradise. By the way, paradise was a Persian word, and the Persian word meant the king's garden. And that's what the word paradise means, that you, because of Christ, if you have accepted him as your Lord and Savior, if you are one who keeps that first love alive, what's the point if this has died and I'm going to go see him face to face? The point is, I love him now and I'm going to love him more. Jesus says, let the one who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Earl Palmer, I close, I asked the worship team to come. Earl Palmer had this to say about losing one's first love. A man or woman is first united with the Christian church because of having discovered and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and have experienced his love. And after a few years being a Christian, that person becomes a leader in the church with very heavy responsibilities for the fellowship. But something happens along the way. That person who, because of giftedness and hard work, may now stand at the vortex of church politics and decision-making experiences, a, a subtle shift in style of life. That person is adrift as a disciple and finds himself or herself motivated and nourished by the organization or the controversy or the gossip or by ambition to hold power. The first love has been replaced with perhaps no one was even aware that it happened. The first love has been abandoned and it's, in its place is the steady high cholesterol diet of activity, church work programs that will ultimately never nourish the soul. The irony of this Ephesus syndrome, he calls it, is that the Christian becomes totally preoccupied, fascinated with themes and goals which would never have won him or her over in the first place to join the church. How can it happen to us? He says it happens to marriages, it happens in human friendships, it happens also in the life of discipleship. I brought this up because I think this is part of where this message has come from. And many of you know that as a church board, uh, we had a goal and uh, we didn't get to present it, and we presented it last year, and again, we're at year end, and all those fun things. I'll get you, Mark, to hold that up for me. You can hold it up, the people can see it. And so we said, you know, we want to be a loving and caring church who demonstrates God love and compassion by coming alongside people in their need. I, I think Jesus would commend that, right? I, I think Jesus would say, that's a good goal. But you know what the Lord said to me? Unless we renew our love for him, and unless we renew our love for each other, this is never going to be achieved. Because you cannot show the love of Christ to those outside. Unless you're on fire for Jesus today. <laughs> unless you've got the love of God in your heart that compels you to go to those that you can do nothing but help those 
in need because he came and helped you or the church came and helped you back in the day. They were there for you in your times of rejoicing, but also in your times of struggle. You can put that away, Mark. Thank you. Would you close your eyes? And somebody had this little challenge as if it was Jesus speaking to us directly. I ask you to close your eyes and allow Jesus, who is in this church today, walking through this lampstand, to look into your heart and to speak to you. It says, can you hear the divine lover calling? You used to listen for my voice. You used to take time to be still before me, to seek my face and enjoy my company. You used to open yourself up to my word daily. Nothing would get in your way of our time. You used to not complicate my commandments. You took them at face value and found freedom in obeying them. You used to weep for those who did not know me. You used to realize you cannot make it on your own. And throw, you used to throw yourself on me with reckless abandonment and love. Jesus says to us today, you used to. Jesus is calling all of us today to do whatever it takes to restore our first love for him and our first love for the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ. Lord, I pray now that we would hear your voice, that as you are speaking to us individually, you are also speaking to us corporately. And I pray, Lord, may it never be said that the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene on the corner, the lighthouse we have called it here on the corner, that someday the light would go out and it would be turned into apartments or into a business or into a music hall. That, Lord, we are responsible for ourselves and this generation, that a generation that is yet unborn might praise the Lord. And so, God, do whatever you need to do in our hearts this day, this week, this month, this church year. May the romance begin again. May the romance for you and the things of God again and bring us back to our first love and give us a new love and appreciation and compassion for one another. Lord, John in his own gospel said that they will know that you are my disciples not by your programs, not by your busyness, not by the wonderful worship. They will know that you are my disciples by your love. May love abound, we pray, O oh God, on this day, this Mother's Day, that we celebrate such wonderful love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. We're going to sing our closing song called The Power of his love. I'm going to ask you to remain seated. Pastor Mike's already standing. But I'm going to ask you to remain seated. And my reason for that is, um, of course, the pandemic has made it always so much harder to do our responses and things that we normally would do. And, and today, I think it would be a good response as we sing this song, and you're not doing it for me, and you're not doing it for anyone else. You're doing it for the lover of your soul, Jesus that as we sing this song, would you stand in that moment if this is the commitment that you're making to Jesus today? And I don't want people looking around. I mean, we can see things from the platform, but I really want this to be a moment with you and the Lord.
that if you are wanting to say, maybe for some it would be the first time. Maybe for some you've said, you know, Pastor, I knew that Jesus was my Savior. I knew that he forgave me. I knew I'm on my way to heaven, hallelujah. But I'll tell you, there's not been a whole lot of love. Maybe today is the day to let the love relationship start. But I'll tell you one thing, that becomes contagious and others want it and want to be around it. And so I'm going to ask you as we sing the song, only if the Lord puts on your heart and you are responding to him, the lover of your soul, I'm going to ask you to stand and he will see it and he will know. And I'm going to pray that God will give you the strength that is needed to make the changes in this week, this month, this year, to have that intimacy revisited again. And that you would say to me, you know, Pastor, you know when you spoke about that message all those months ago? Well, Jesus and I are doing really, really well. And that romance is back. I want to commend you for your faithfulness. You have been so faithful these past two years. I believe Jesus would commend you on that. But he would want us also to be people of great love. Let's sing.